Look, if you'd like to get out our Bible. So today I just wanted to look at uh, a few scriptures and uh, just, uh, just try and see how uh, it applies to uh, the world we live in. And I wanted to look at uh, uh, some scriptures about high places. And uh, it's uh, something that could mean... Uh, let me have a look. Uh, elevated, something lifted up, uh, something that sticks out, a tower, or something that's magnified. But I suppose, you know, if I look at, at this in context, I'm looking at something that replaces God. And there's so many things in this life where things have replaced God. And, uh, you know, it could be your job. It could be sports. It could be uh, uh, some other aspects. But, uh, you know, we look at uh, the world today and uh, there's so many things that has replaced God. You know, many years ago, I used to uh, think of Australia as being a God-fearing country, but I wouldn't say that now. I'm sure you could say that as well, you know. Yeah, the people you talk to, the people you talk to, you know, there's no fear of God there. And it's a shame, isn't it? But uh, uh, that's the world we live in. But look, let's have a look at, um, let's start in Genesis. So this is going to be a long talk. We start off there. So Genesis, let's start off in Genesis uh, chapter 11. Just wanted to read just a couple of scriptures here. And it'll uh, start to introduce this character. And in Genesis 11, let's start off in uh, verse uh, 3, just to cut to the story a bit. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime had they for mortar. And they said, go, let us build us a tower, a city and a tower, whose tops, uh, top may reach unto heaven, and let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of God builded. And so we can see here, you know, this situation. But before that it says, the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. But here, you know, mankind or uh, this uh, people here, they decide, look, we're going to build a city and we're going to build a tower. And I suppose they wanted it to be recognised, to be known. And it's got God's attention, as we read there. And God takes notice of this. And in verse 9, Therefore is the name of it called Babel. Or Babylon, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them upon the face of the whole earth. And so we can see this place uh, called Babel. Now, if we just go to um, Genesis 10, we'll just go back a bit. Just want to read a couple of verses there. In verse uh, 8. So just start off at verse 8. And uh, in verse 8, And Cush uh, begat Nimrod, he began to be a mighty one in the earth, and he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Now that word before can also translate to against. And uh, wherefore it is said, Even as Nimrod the mighty hunter before the Lord. 
and the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, or Babylon, and Erect and Akat and Kalna in the land of Shinar. Out of that land went forth Ashur and built at Nineveh and uh, the city Reboth and Kala. And so we can see here some uh, notable uh, cities that were built, you know, mainly uh, Babylon and Nineveh. But we read about this character called Nimrod. And, uh, and he was responsible for this kingdom. But it also talks about him being a mighty hunter, but someone whose hand was against God. Now, why was that? So I'm just going to um, just read something out of Josephus. This is a book. Uh, he's a Jewish historian, and, uh, and he writes uh, some things about Josephus, and it sort of gives us an idea about uh, a Nimrod, but also why this here, where it says... In verse 8, he was a mighty hunter before, or as I said before, uh, that word can translate to he was a mighty hunter against the Lord. So we'll read a little bit about Josephus here. Now Nimrod was, uh, now it was Nimrod who excited them to such an affront and contempt of God. He was the grandson of Ham, the son of Noah, a bold man, and a great man, uh, strength of hand. He persuaded them not to ascribe it to God as if it was through his means they were happy, but to believe that it was his own courage which procured uh, that happiness. He also gradually changed the government into tyranny or something oppressive, seeing no other way of turning men from the fear of God, but to bring them into a constant dependence upon his power. He also said he would be revenged on God if he should have a mind to drown the world again, for that he would build a tower too high for the waters to be able to reach, and that he would be, uh, avenge himself on God for destroying his forefathers. Now the multitude were ready to follow the determination of Nimrod and to esteem it to a piece of cowardice to submit to God and they built a tower. And there's a little bit more, I'll just read. Um, the place wherein they built the tower is called, now uh, called Babylon because of the confusion of that language which they readily understood before for the Hebrew uh, means by the word Babel, confusion. The Sibyl also makes mention of this town of the confusion of the language, where she says, Thus, when all men were of one language, some of them built a high tower, as if they would thereby ascend uh, to heaven. But the gods sent storms of wind and overthrew the tower and gave everyone his peculiar language. And for this reason, it was that city called Babylon. And so, so we can get, get an idea about uh, Nimrod, can't we? Uh, he wasn't a nice person. He obviously wanted people to realise, look, you know, if it's uh, happiness, I'm responsible for that. I'm going to be the one who uh, rules you. I'm going to be the one who uh, takes control. And he just wanted to put himself in this position where people look to him and not to God. And that's the sort of uh, person he was. And Nimrod also can mean re uh, rebel as well. And he lived up to his name, didn't he? He wanted to, uh, you know, uh, have 
his uh, say with God. He obviously wasn't happy about the flood and he thought, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to build this tower. And it's like this high tower became his high place. It became uh, his elevation, something that lifted him up. And, uh, and that's what he did. And, uh, and that's what we see in the world today. You know, mankind, uh, they sort of feel sometimes, you know, they need to have a status and they need to be elevated. They need to be put on a footstool. And uh, to the point where, you know, where does God come into the picture? And God takes a back seat, unfortunately. Let's have a look in uh, Exodus 20. Uh, just start off in uh, verse 3. They shall have no other gods before me. They shall not make uh, unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. They shall not bow down thyself to them nor serve them for I, the Lord, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. And so we can see here, you know, God is making it absolutely clear to the children of Israel, look, you know, there is to be no other gods before me. I am the only true living God. And we know that to be true. You know, there's only one God. And uh, he won't settle for second place. But uh, he's trying to make it clear to these people. And he says this for a reason. Look, make no graven image, either wood, stone or anything carved. Because, you know, if we fast forward, unfortunately, the children of Israel forgets, don't they, these things. That's been told to them. And, uh, you know, it doesn't take long before, if we look at, um, in Exodus 32, where... Um, the golden calf was made and, uh, and the people forgot, didn't they? And uh, they end up saying, you know, after this golden calf was made, these be the God that brought us out of Egypt. Whereas it was God that brought them out of Egypt and he showed them all these miracles and also to the Egyptians as well, all these miracles that uh, I'm going to perform to make you realise that I'm going to bring you out of Egypt. And um, what else do I want? Uh, let's have a look at uh, Exodus 34, just quickly. And in just uh, one verse there, actually two verses, sorry. Just uh, touching on the, line, on the lines of idols here. And uh, But you shall destroy their altars, break the images, and cut down their groves. For they shall worship no other god, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. And uh, we can see quite clearly, you know, what God is saying. Look, I'm a jealous God, and uh, don't do these things. If you do these things, obviously, you know, you'll incur God's wrath. He won't be happy. But... The thing is with the uh, children of Israel, they started to take on the customs of the heathen nation, the pagan nations. You know, they started to worship them and uh, they built uh, these altars. They built these groves and uh, which God said not to do. He made it so clear. And, uh, and the sad thing is, is um, 
As time went on, we look at some of the kings uh, of Israel. You know, this includes the kings of Judah. And uh, when we look at these kings, you know, a lot of them unfortunately did evil in the sight of the Lord. And it tells us these things. And we look at some of these uh, these kings that are mentioned. You know, Manasseh, Jeroboam, Ahab, Rehoboam, Jehoram, Omri, Basha. And then if you try and look at some of the good kings, there weren't many, there were some. Uh, there was Asa, Jehoshaphat, Josiah, David, and Hezekiah. And uh, one of the kings that surprised me, you know, when you look at all, uh, through the kings, is Solomon. Now, he was someone who uh, asked of God, you know, God asked him, what do you want? And he said he wanted uh, knowledge and understanding, wisdom to be able to judge this people, which he got. But if we look at uh, 1 Kings 11, we just see what was the outcome of Solomon, bearing in mind, you know, he was uh, one of the most uh, famous kings, probably one of the wealthiest men that ever lived. But yet, what was his outcome? Uh, and let's start off in verse 1. But King Solomon loved many strange women, together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. So we can see here, it says there, uh, King Solomon loved many strange women. I can relate to that. I love a strange woman. That's my wife. She's not here, so I can get away with that. <laughs> but uh, that, that's what King Solomon did. And it talks about uh, further down. He had 700 wives, princesses, 300 concubines, and his wives turned, his heart, uh, turned away his heart. And it's a shame, isn't it, for all the things uh, that Solomon did, for the renown, his wisdom, people would come and listen to him. He wrote, uh, you know, some of the Psalms, the Proverbs, and uh, some of these wonderful thoughts. But it, uh, it didn't account uh, for much in the end, unfortunately. And in verse 6, And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and went not fully after the Lord, as did his father, uh, David, his father. And it's a shame, isn't it? But, you know, if we take our eyes off the Lord, if we start to replace things, uh, this can be the outcome. Just wanted to look at uh, uh, two kings, uh, actually two particular kings. But let's go to two kings in chapter 18. I'd mentioned uh, these names, but let's have a look at two kings 18 firstly. Just want to uh, mention or talk about uh, King Hezekiah. And, and he was an interesting king. But just only read uh, the first few verses just to compare him against another king. And in verse uh, 18, uh, sorry, verse 1, chapter 18. Now it came to pass in the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. Twenty and five years old was he when he began to reign. And he reigned twenty and nine years in Jerusalem. 
His mother's name also was Abby, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father did. He removed the high places, he broke the images, cut down the groves, and broke in pieces uh, the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense uh, to it, and he called it Nehushtan. And uh, he trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him amongst all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. For he clave to the Lord, and departed not from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord God commanded Moses. And so we can see here, um, Hezekiah, he does all these wonderful things, and he gets a tick, and he's known as a good king, because he followed the things of the Lord. And uh, when you look at it, it would have been hard, to do these things where it says he removed the high places, broke the images and cut down the groves. I'm sure he would have had opposition because, you know, uh, the people had started, the nation had started to take on some of these pagan worships. But he thought, no, I'm going to do the right thing as I've been shown. And he's following after the commandments of Moses that have been passed on to Moses. And he says, look, this is what needs to be done. If I get opposition, I get opposition, but I'm going to do it because if I want to follow God and worship God the right way, well, this is what needs to be done. You know, these idols needs to go, this idolatry needs to go, this pagan worship needs to go. Now, if we go to uh, 2 Kings chapter 1, 21, sorry, 2 Kings 21, and we read about another king, which I mentioned before, his name was Hezekiah. But in verse 21, uh, verse 21, in the previous chapter, I'll, I'll read it. You don't have to turn to it. And Hezekiah slept with his fathers, and Manasseh, his son, reigned in his stead. And uh, uh, chapter 21, verse 1, Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign and reigned 50 in two years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Hephzibah. And he did... Uh, that which was evil in the sight of the Lord after the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. For he built up again the high places which uh, Hezekiah his father had destroyed and reared up uh, altars for Baal and he made a grove as did Ahab king of Israel and worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. And he built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord said, In Jerusalem will I put my name. And he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. And he made his sons, uh, his son pass through the fire and observed times and used enchantments and dealt with familiar spirits and wizards. Uh, he wrought much wickedness in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. And uh, it's just hard to imagine, like before when I read uh, Hezekiah, I read the first six verses. And then in Man for Manasseh, I read the first six verses. And it's like what Hezekiah did, 
Manasseh did the opposite, and that was his son. And he did completely uh, differently to uh, Hezekiah. He had an absolute disregard for what his uh, uh, father put in place. And uh, he went back and built up these things, you know, these high places and these groves and altars. It's unbelievable, isn't it, to think, uh, uh, you know, three chapters ago, I don't know how many years had passed, but uh, um, that uh, Hezekiah knocked them down, he's built them back up again. And he's thought, no, this is what I want. And uh, we're going to start to worship, you know, uh, the things we're going to observe times, uh, uh, get into enchantments and familiar spirits. And he did these things and it talks about how it provoked the Lord to anger. And the thing is, you know, God is not going to be happy with these sort of things. It's a case, it's like uh, he wanted to be rebellious. He wanted to uh, stamp his own authority of things. And, uh, and as a result, you know, the end can only be uh, tragic. And uh, if we uh, uh, decide to take a path which the Lord uh, instructs us to follow. Now, if we just go to uh, uh, Joshua, just want to have a look at another story here. Just uh, Joshua chapter 7. And I'll just start off in um, verse 1. But this is just to lead you into the story a bit. You know, they've conquered Jericho. And, uh, and this is what's happened not long after. And in verse 1. But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing for uh, Achan, the son of Kami, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah took off the accursed thing and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. Now, if we just go to uh, chapter 6, verse 18. Just one verse here. And ye in any wise keep yourself from the accursed thing lest you make yourselves accursed when you take off the accursed thing and make the children of Israel accursed and trouble them. And so we can see here, you know, they were told, look, when you go into Jericho, look, don't partake of anything there because if you do, you'll be accursed and so will the nation. So it's, the, it's made pretty clear what to avoid, what not to touch. And uh, if we just go to, um, uh, just to cut to the chase a bit, um, they've gone out to battle. This is Israelites. They didn't take out a full army. They thought, well, you know, we want a mighty victory at Jericho. You know, we know God's on our side. But they suffered some loss and they couldn't understand it. They thought, what's happened? Some men have died as we've gone out to battle. And in verse 11, let's read that. Israel had sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant which I commanded them, for they have even taken off the accursed thing, and have also stolen and disassembled also, and they have put it even amongst their own stuff. And so this is what's been revealed to Joshua. Now in verse 21, so Joshua has to do something, obviously, because it's like the plague had come in and he had to get rid of it. And, uh, and through a process of elimination, it was found. It was Achan, 
He was the one who was responsible. And in verse 21, this is Achan. And when I saw amongst the spoils a goodly Babylonian garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I coveted them and took them, and behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. And so we can see, you know, that's uh, what Achan had stolen. Uh, chapter 7? Sorry, did I... Oh, sorry, yeah, because I'd said chapter 6. I didn't say go back to chapter 7. Sorry. So, so shall I read that again? So uh, chapter 7, verse 21. And uh, when I saw amongst the spoils a goodly Babylonian gum- garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I coveted them and took them, and behold, they are hid in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. And so we can see here, this is what uh, Achan had done. And uh, he's partaken of the accursed thing. And, uh, and as a result of that, you know, the, the end result is going to be tragic, as we'll see. But it's like for Achan, he's lost priority, hasn't he? It's like this has become his high place. He's thinking, if I do this, it's going to elevate me. It's going to lift me up. It's going to maybe magnify me. But what was he going to do with those things? You know, that, that's, the, that's the crazy thing. You know, what, what was he going to do? He hid them under his tent, but that's where they stayed. And, uh, but that's what he wanted. He thought maybe, you know, this is going to provide a better life for me. You know, this is going to provide me wealth. But in the end, uh, all it was was destruction because we read uh, in verse, um, just to cut to the chase a bit, in verse 25, and Joshua said, why hast thou troubled us? The Lord shall trouble thee this day. And all Israel stoned him with stones and burnt him with fire. And they had stoned him with stones. But not only that, it talks about uh, all his possession. It talks about his sons, his daughters, his family. They were all destroyed. And that was the tragic end for Achan, but also his family. He brought the curse upon Israel as a result of that. You know, destruction was the only uh, course. And it's a shame, isn't it? Because his family suffered as a result of, you could say, his stupidity. But that's what happened to Achan when he took his eyes off the Lord and he got distracted. If you just go to uh, Revelations 18, I'll just finish off there. So Revelations 18, just start off in verse 1. And after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened uh, with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitations of devils and the hold of every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird, or refers to a predatory nature. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through a 
abundance, the abundance of her delicacies. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, that ye uh, receive not of her plagues, for her sins have reached unto heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Uh, reward her even as she rewarded you, and double unto her, double according to her works, and the cup which she hath filled uh, hath filled, filled to her double. How much she hath glorified herself and lived deliciously. So much torment and sorrow give her, for she saith in her heart, I sit a queen, I am no widow, and shall see no sorrow. And so we can see here, you know, just a description of Babylon. And when we look at the beginning, you know, we talked about uh, a Nimrod and the start of his kingdom was Babylon. And we see what is the end of Babylon? It's going to be destruction, isn't it? It's going to be an end. And I suppose, you know, when we look at uh, the system we live in, you know, it's a modern-day Babylon, isn't it? It's the world we live in, and it's so much so that uh, the world today has become people's high place. You know, it's replaced God. It's the Babylon we live in, and it talks about Babylon the Great is fallen, is fallen, and that's going to be the end result. And uh, because people have turned away from the things of God and all these things are coming upon us, we're reaping really what we're sowing, aren't we? And, uh, and people are partaking, as it talks about uh, the delicacies or the luxuries, and it talks about how the sins has reached up to heaven. And obviously God sees these things. You know, he's not blind or oblivious to these things. He knows what's happening. And he'll tolerate these things for so long, but there has to come to an end, doesn't there? And uh, how it says here, look, I sit a queen. What can happen to me? You know, I sit a queen. And, uh, you know, it'll come quickly. And we look at the world today, you know, things have changed. And, uh, you know, the morals have changed. The stanzas have changed. You know, the world is in decay. You know, what used to be right is considered wrong. What is bad is considered good. You know, it's just crazy, isn't it? Our things have changed. But, you know, God is saying to us, come out of her. And it talks about that in Corinthians. It says, come out and partake of not of the unclean thing and I will receive you and that's what God wants us to do and we need to make sure that our sights are focused on God we need to make sure that our personal ambitions are not greater than the things of God because you know it's important to see and realize what our priorities are you know there is a priority you know God's put us in a position and uh, we need to make sure that God is not second fiddle or taking a back seat to anything. And if there's going to be a high place in our life, let God be our high place where he's elevated and lifted up. And all the people said, Amen. <laughs>